I want to personally invite you to join me and all the other Brock stars for this year's 13th live and in-person plant stock event outside of Asheville, North Carolina in the little town of Black Mountain. It's 1,500 acres is loaded with wildlife, trees, trails, streams. It is a nature wonderland. And what's also a wonderland are all the incredible speakers that you get to hang with all weekend long, like Jane and Ann Esselstyn, Dr. Will Bolshewitz of Fiberfueled, Carly Bodrug, Miss Plant U, Dr. Gemma Newman is over from the UK. We have Dr. Don Musalem from the Mayo Clinic, John Mackey, the ex-CEO of Whole Food Market Stores, myself, Brian Hart, and a special appearance by the Plant Bros. Here's the kicker. All these Brock stars are there from Friday till Sunday, and they want to rub elbows with all of you, whether it's over buffets of Plant Strong Fair for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whether it's going on an afternoon hike, a swim, pickleball, frisbee golf, kickball, cornhole, dancing. We're having live music. It's all there in this fun weekend extravaganza that we affectionately call Plant Stock. Simply go to liveplantstrong.com and then click on Plant Stock 2024 and grab yourself a ticket before they sell out. See you there. Happy holidays, my cruciferous cousins. I have got a particularly special crossover episode to share with you today from my buddies at Switch for Good. If you're not familiar with the work of Switch for Good, they are an evidence-based nonprofit. Uh, They advocate passionately for a dairy-free world. For way too long, our society has accepted the distortion and misinformation that Big Dairy feeds us. So Switch for Good specifically exists to set the record straight for the sake of human health, food justice, and the future of our planet. They work with health experts, athletes, social justice warriors, enlightened policymakers, and progressive corporations to promote ethical lifestyles and widespread behavioral change related to how we eat. The Switch for Good podcast is hosted by my friends, Olympic medalist, Dotsie Bosch, who many of you, I'm sure, saw in The Game Changers. It was a great little segment. And former Baywatch actress, Alexandra Paul. I believe so much in the work that they're doing that I wanted to share one of their podcast episodes, especially as it relates to athletic performance. Now, this conversation centers on Ryan Duff, He is a medical student and a recreational ultra-endurance runner, but more impressive than his academic and athletic achievements is his story of overcoming an eating disorder. And Dotsie and Alexandra talk with Ryan about his struggle from anorexia to binge eating and how he's overcome those hurdles by shifting to a whole food plant-based diet. They discuss the underlying causes of eating disorders, coping mechanisms, and the holistic impact of a whole food plant-based diet for your physical and mental health. As he says in the interview, 
I don't run to eat. I eat to run. I hope you enjoyed this special episode of the Switch for Good podcast. Find the most nutrient-dense foods out there. You know, you don't have to be in med school. You don't have to be a doctor. You don't have to do these things to, to know just like the age-old wisdom of eat your fruits and vegetables. Well, hello out there, everyone. We are so, so pumped to welcome you to the Switch for Good podcast. I am Olympic silver medalist and Switch for Good nonprofit founder, Dotsie Bausch. And I am Alexandra Paul, a certified health coach and a longtime actress. Years ago, my life was radically transformed when I made the Switch for Good away from eating animals and animal-based products. My athletic performance was greatly enhanced, much to my surprise, actually, by the power of plant-based eating. Dropping all animal products from my life has finally aligned my values with my diet, and now I feel more balanced and more at peace with food and with my body. Alexander and I started this podcast with you in mind. We are here to take you on a transformative journey to learn the power of eating plants and help you redevelop a healthy relationship with food and a more whole relationship with yourself. Each week, we bring you doctors, dietitians, psychologists, prominent athletes, and other interesting guests who have deep, rich information and inspiration to share. We welcome you every week. Join us on the journey to switch for good. This is the future. Alexandra, we're in what I like to call the season. It's the season of warm fuzzies, continuous holidays, and quite honestly, gift giving. What I've noticed a lot of people doing gift-wise is giving to a nonprofit on someone's behalf. I absolutely love that idea. It shows that you know something about the person, and it can make a far greater impact than something material. So here it comes, folks. I'm asking you to give to Switch for Good if you are able. If you're a regular listener, you know that we're so passionate about what we do, but unfortunately, we can't change the world on passion alone. And we need to change the perspective on dairy now for our health and performance, for the animals, and for our planet. There are approximately 265 million cows trapped within the abusive confines of the dairy industry worldwide. They are repeatedly impregnated, hooked up to machines, and have their babies taken away from them year after year. On the environmental side, if we were to maintain our animal eating status we would need 50% more land and have to produce more food in the next 40 years than we have in the past 10,000 years combined. From a health and social justice perspective, three quarters of the world's population, those who are lactose intolerant, are being force-fed marketing for a food that will make them sick. We believe we have the power to turn this around, but we can't do it without your support. This podcast is free to listen to, but it ain't free to produce. So if you find our podcast motivating and or helpful at all, please consider a tax-deductible donation to Switch for Good this season, either for yourself or on behalf of a loved one. Just go to switchforgood.org and click on support. That's switch, the digit for good, Org. Click on support in the top right-hand corner. And if you mention our podcast in a note when you donate, you will get a shout out in one of our January episodes. So stay tuned and let's make that dairy-free future a reality. 
Hello and welcome to the Switch for Good podcast. I'm Alexandra Paul and I'm here with my wonderful co-host Dotsie Vouch. Hi Dotsie. Hello everyone. You were with the LA Clippers yesterday and I'm just wondering, are you becoming a basketball player? <laughs> well, if I wasn't a fan before, now I'm a mad fan. And everybody out there that's plant-based, including you, uh, are now LA Clippers fans, okay? Okay, yes. Well, <laughs> I was I was a Clippers fan because Chris Paul used to play for them. And right. he's a relative of mine, obviously, since my name is Alexandra Paul. So there. <laughs> yeah, man, it was just, it was super killer. They, um, contacted us, oh, about a month ago. Uh, and their head of performance is D Brown, who played in the NBA for 12 years um, back in the um, 80s and, and early 90s. Uh, uh, and he, it, I mean, it's hard to be in the NBA for 12 years. I mean, he, it, it, that's, 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 I don't think that's an average career. He was, he was a, a big star and he was actually the one, I don't know if you remember, who had the Reebok um, pumps the, the the shoe like Reebok that made that shoe and you like reached down and pumped it up and it air filled in it. And he and actually you, played in those. He actually played in them. I think he's still sponsored by them because he had Reeboks on yesterday. But <laughs> uh, so I went to meet uh, with him about a month ago about how we could um, integrate all of the information that we have about uh, at Switch for Good on um, changing over, leaning into plants more, and and ditching dairy uh, to increase their their performance. Obviously, because he's wants to win a championship. He's a champion himself, and he wants to make sure that they are doing everything that they can possibly do in the performance department that's cutting edge. So yesterday, we had the opportunity to go back and present to his entire performance staff. So team doc, trainers, nutritionists, even their chefs. Uh, and it was pretty extraordinary. I took... Um, Dr. Christian Gonzalez with me, right? Who, who has been had, on the podcast, yeah. who has his own podcast, Heal Thyself, that's totally rocking it. Uh, he did the science. And then I also took Mr. or Dr., I should say, Milton Mills, who did food injustice and dietary racism inherent in dairy. And that since the entire team is black, um, mm. well, they have one white guy, they have one guy from Croatia. So, you know, pretty much that most of those players, or at least about 80 to 85% of them, probably have some kind of digestive issue when it comes to dairy. So obviously, if you have stomach cramping or bloating or diarrhea or trouble breathing because of dairy, it's going to inhibit your own performance. So we had a uh, we had a pretty wonderful day with him. We're going to be creating a program. Uh, so they're open open to it? Very, very, very open. Yeah, it was, I mean, you know, there was a, a few in there that I think were a little bit mind blown. Like, mm. hold on a minute. I've been reading, you know, dairy funded studies my whole career. And this seems like, a, you know, the perfect fuel for humans and, and had questions and they're going to now go on their own journey of, of, you know, investigating and researching and looking at the data that we presented. People don't make well, changes overnight. What was that you presented that you think was effective to change some of those folks' minds? Yeah, I think um, well, a couple of things. One was just helping them to understand a little bit better about how to look at uh, the pro-dairy studies. Uh, most of them, or, or I should say all the ones that I've read and, and, and have dove into, uh, there are major issues with, with the control that they use or what they compare dairy to. So for example, uh, most of the time when it uh, the, the findings are that dairy is fantastic for you or specifically cheese or yogurt or something, they have compared it to basically a standard American diet. So that is not, <laughs> I don't think in anyone's uh, idea of optimal. Like, oh, yes. So they've I, compared it to uh, uh, 
Kool-Aid or something? Yeah, and, and you know, bur- burgers for lunch and, and you know, meat and french fries and, the, you know, fast food is, you know, is a part of the standard American diet. So they're not comparing it to a really high nutrient-dense, high antioxidant diet. They're comparing it to a really lame, sad literally diet. Uh, And the other issue a lot of times is the control that they use. And an example of that in a a study they did about a year ago in the sport of rock climbing and judo, when they were trying to show that chocolate milk was just the perfect recovery fuel for humans and athletes specifically, obviously, uh, the control that they used to compare chocolate milk to was none other than water. I think we've mentioned that now, on we this love, podcast. We love water, we love- <laughs> but it doesn't have any calories. So right. So we- anything with a calorie is going to beat out something without a calorie for recovery and repair every single time. I mean, honestly, though, in this, they would have been better with a mouthful of dirt than chocolate milk, right? Because at least you have some B vitamins and you have a little bit of antioxidants <laughs> and you have calories. Helping them kind of unravel and understand, you know, the issues with a lot of those dairy-funded studies. And then looking at some of the studies on um, the side of plants and the side of nutrient-dense foods and the side of antioxidant-rich foods in relation to inflammation and increased blood flow and better endothelial cell function and better repair. And then hence, of course, performance, which um, we went through about five different studies, which are all on switchforgood.org. I think we have 66 studies or something that we reference on there under the Why Ditch Dairy page. Uh, So we we went through some of those with them so they could really see um, not only the problem with dairy, but then what to replace it with, right? What are all of the exciting, amazing nutrient-dense foods that you can put in your system that are going to help you be at your best and, and, and drive them towards the championship? Because they feed the athletes, what, for lunch and dinner or breakfast, lunch and dinner? Breakfast, lunch and dinner. Yeah. Yeah. And of yeah, course, I mean, some of the athletes take them up on it and some don't. You know, I mean, right, they're grown men, so <laughs> we can't force them to do anything. So one of the first steps that we'll take is just bringing in um, a lot of the alternatives to dairy so that the athletes just start having choices. They can start choosing alternatives and seeing how they feel and repair uh, having those alternatives. Our ultimate goal is to have um, some of the players, at least three of them, commit entirely and completely for, uh, you know, a period of time, whether it's three or four weeks or hopefully for forever, and then um, test um, their vascular flexibility, their infl- inflammatory markers, their blood lipids, and then performance markers um, that the Clippers regularly test them on right now and see that improvement so that we start to build data for other sports teams that that we'll go into and, and help them to make the switch. Yay, Dasi. Cool. One more question. I know we have a really great guest today who can probably talk to a lot of what you're talking yes. about right now, but um, are there other, are there vegan basketball players in the NBA right now that whom are doing very well? Well, your brother, Chris Paul. Oh yeah. I think he's <laughs> vegan. Yes. Oh, Chris, <laughs> you're the best. <laughs> um, and then uh, Kyrie Irving. Okay. Right. He's, he's talked a lot about it in the media, actually. Um, but I think that there are also potentially many others who are either dairy-free or leaning, in, you know, more into plants who aren't necessarily talking about it because it is such an incredible performance hack that, uh, you know, some athletes mm. like to kind of hide the tricks of the trade, right? And the little hacks that they're doing that they're seeing increased performance. In fact, um, Dr. Jim Loomis told me the last time he saw Chris Paul, um, which was at a Game Changers event, uh, that Chris said he kept it quiet for a long time. 
because it was kind of like his little secret. Like, this is really amazing and really working. So, I, you know, I was like, oh, we have to, these athletes need to talk about it more. So anyway. I'll talk to old Chris. Okay. Talk- yeah. Get with your brother. And- <laughs> so who do we have today, Dotsie? Oh, this is very cool. So we have the winner of our uh, best story on overcoming personal challenges contest winner, I should say. We ran a contest about three months ago. Gosh, it's time flies. And um, it was encouraging people to call in on on Google Voice and uh, kind of leave us the three-minute version of their powerful personal story on overcoming um, challenges and hurdles in their lives. And we had some incredible stories, no doubt, some that were um, drew some tears. But this one just really sort of stood out. And so uh, it's Ryan Duff. So congrats on the win. Um, but yes, let me tell you a little bit about, about him. He isn't a doctor. I know we have a lot of doctors on the show, right? And a lot of pro athletes. He isn't a doctor, but he's becoming one. And he's also not a professional athlete yet, but I think he's becoming one of those two. Ryan Duff is your everyman, but in our opinion, he's becoming a superman. <laughs> Ryan is a lightning fast recreational ultra endurance runner and a med student at the University of Minnesota. While med school and running 50 miles in under eight hours is impressive, we are more compelled by Ryan's victory over his eating disorder, which both Alexandra and I and many of our listeners can certainly relate to. From anorexic to binge eater, Ryan was able to overcome this debilitating disease by turning to a plant-based diet. He's a shining example of an ordinary person doing really extraordinary things, and his journey is both motivating and also relatable. For anyone struggling to overcome a personal hurdle, this one is for you. So welcome, Ryan. Excited to see you. Hi, Thank Ryan. you so much for the intro. I don't know how much that was deserved, but it- <laughs> All of it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we actually got to meet, which was awesome for me. Last December, when the Switch for Good Truth Tour hit Minneapolis, and uh, we, I should say we, myself and Dr. Milton Mills spoke at a, uh, to a group of students um, on the Switch for Good Truth Tour in Minneapolis, and you came to that event, and we got to meet. And I don't think I fully recognize this, because uh, you you and I spoke after that a few times on email after we met. Um I don't think that I realized that that um, experience that you had at the Truth Tour at the University of Minnesota um, was what actually made you fully and a completely commit to a plant-based diet. You were well on your way. I mean, you and I talked about it when when we hung out there. But um, what about uh, what was it that was probably Dr. Mills, not me, uh, that that he or we said that really kind of in your in your head and your heart said, okay, I'm ready to go all in? I think it was just how inspired you were um, and how passionate you and Dr. Mills were uh, about the movement and how much it took me from a place to oh, this is about me or this is about, you know, how I can perform or feel better or do better. And now it became more of a way of like, I can, I can really make a difference in the world, not just in, you know, my future patients' lives and things like that, but, you know, as far as agriculture and environment go and how profound, um, that experience was for me. And to have somebody who 
as, as talented as yourself, you know, and as, as an Olympian and Dr. Mills, who's an established, you know, really well-renowned physician, uh, seeing you both on like a personal level, it was just, it, it was, it was so inspiring that I, I couldn't look back, I guess. You, you spoke to the athlete in him, Dotsie, and Dr. Mills spoke to yeah. the doctor in him. So that's pretty, pretty great. Now you, you spoke, struggled with eating disorders and, and you've overcome that now, but can we go back and talk about what your relationship with food was like growing up? You know, I think growing up, I, I, I had a pretty normal relationship with food as far as, uh, as far as like a young, you know, American teenage kid goes, you know, I ate meat, I ate dairy. I was, you know, played sports all year round. So, and I didn't really give food a thought, you know, it wasn't really, you know, I, I was pretty much on the seafood, eat food diet, you know, whatever was in front of my face, that was, that was what I was going to eat. And, uh, I think things sort of took a, a, a turn when I went to college. Uh, I didn't have sports to play anymore. I had to work, um, and, you know, go to school and there wasn't that sort of organized, uh, you know, uh, sports to have there as a backup. And then I took up running as a sort of, you know, way to stay healthy, stay fit, um, just to get out and exercise. And, um, I had never played a sport where, you know, there was quite the, the sort of demand or the, or the association of body weight, uh, tied to it, you know, in football and lacrosse, it was just, you know, be big and strong and fast and, you know, running entails being light lean, um, or it can, entail those things. And I think that's sort of when my relationship with food probably became more, more hairy, more dicey. And, um, and it was a feed forward mechanism of, I, I ate a little bit less. Um, I got a little leaner, I got a little faster. And then the, the feed forward cycle kind of goes into place after that. And, you know, so I lost a lot of weight, uh, once I got to college and once I picked up running and, um, I think that's when my relationship with food started. Yeah. Started to go downward. Sounds like you're, you're speaking of it as it was for your running, but Dotsie and I know that eating disorders are usually a outer manifestation of inner pain. So what was going on with you on a deeper level that caused you to restrict your food like this besides the desire to run faster? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say it's multifactorial for me. So I, I come from a family of, of addiction and, uh, mental health disorders. So my parents have, um, battled, you know, alcoholism and I've had siblings that have battled eating disorders and, um, growing up, it was, it was interesting, you know, being the youngest of all of my siblings, it felt like I had a sort of a blueprint on what not to do and how not to behave. You know, I was like, it was pretty easy for me to be like, well, if you want to be successful growing up, just don't drink alcohol, don't do drugs and you don't have an eating disorder. But I didn't take the time, especially when I went to college to, to really pin down the things that, what, what leads to those, right? Like it's, it's self-isolation, you know, not reaching out to people when you're feeling sad and stressed about school or work and these things. And, um, I sort of had this Superman mentality where it's like, well, I don't, you know, I can work 40, 50 hours a week. I can do all these things in school by myself. I don't need anybody. I've never needed anybody before. Um, you know, and I was going through, you know, it, school was a struggle. Work was a struggle. Keeping up with running was a struggle. And that was like, you know, this, this idea of being able to control intake and, and to being able to run and, um, do these things was sort of like this, my emotional outlet from, 
you know, what most people would do is talk to a friend or talk to a loved one. I, I did not utilize those outlets. And even though I thought I had this blueprint of what not to do and how to stay healthy, I didn't actually get down to the root of why these things happened both in my family and then subsequently in myself. So, um, I think, I think, does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, I can really relate to that. And I don't think I've ever had anyone say that exactly the way that you've said it in terms of it was really a, a way for you to assert control when you just said that you were, you know, is, is school, school was overwhelming and work was overwhelming and your life was overwhelming. And, and those feeling of, of feeling overwhelmed makes us feel slightly out of control or very out of control. And I had that exact same experience. And, and, and so the eating disorder kind of, I feel like it crept its way in. And I remember you saying that to me when we met that it wasn't like this onslaught, like, okay, now I'm stopping eating today. And then, but it creeps its way in because you are wanting to assert control over something. You realize we, all of us have ultimate control of what it goes in our mouth, but it's also, it, it plays into that type A personality type because it's really hard to control your food and to start taking the calorie count down and down and down because you're hungry. <laughs> so it's hard to do that. So I can really relate to that desire and assertion of, of need to control, which so many people um, who haven't struggled with an eating disorder or maybe just really don't know much about them and think it's about body image and weight and skinny or fat. I think and really learn from this in, in that it, it is a manif manifestation of some kind of struggle, some kind of inner pain, and that are our, our, that human need to just always try and have control. So letting go is a big part of the journey of therapy, right? <laughs> Which we've talked about on the show. Yeah. I, I actually found it interesting that you said that you were isolating yourself mm -hmm. because there's a very good book, which you, you might have heard of, uh, Ryan Dotsie, mm -hmm. called Lost Connections by a man named Johan Hari, who talks about how isolation keeps us um, depressed. Wow. Uh, and he wrote another really good book called Chasing the Scream, which is about addiction. And how we deal with people who are addicts and how we treat them like criminals when really it's just mm. about pain and a manifestation. And some of it's also a, uh, pr a proclivity to certain vulnerabilities like addiction to drugs or addiction to alcohol. Mm -hmm. I really hope that you're enjoying, uh, or should I say gobbling up this crossover episode that we are doing with Dotsie and Alexandra uh, with Switch for Good and all the fantastic things that they are doing with their nonprofit. That being said, I really hope that you all will seriously consider joining Team Plan Strong and celebrate your journey with us, either virtually or in person, in Austin, Texas, February 18th and 19th, 2023. It is going to be a barn burner of an event that. I really don't want you to miss out on. Simply visit plantstrongfoods.com slash team for all the details. And I'll see you in February. I wondered if is depression something that you've battled with? Because not only do you did you did you talk about isolation, but also for myself, and I've mentioned this on the show, is that one of the reasons that I feel like I exercise and I and I always when I see an ultra runner, I always think, hmm, what is it that were I was exercise keeps my mood up. And 
so I, and I, I love it. And I think that's great because I think I, I might sink if I didn't exercise regularly. And I wondered if, if the running and the need for control, was that all mixed up with the feeling depressed or any kind of, you talked about your mental health in your fa- in the mental health in your family. Mm-hmm. No, it's an excellent question. And it's something that I, I try to dig into as often as I can, you know, what is my relationship with this, with, you know, exercise? What is it good? Is it bad? Is it, is it promoting my health? Is it, you know, detracting from my health and things like that. And I think I have a similar experience to you overall. It, it does elevate my mood now. And now I have a healthy relationship with running and food, you know, where, where I don't, I would say this, I don't run to eat, you know, I eat and run. It's, you know, they're just two peas of the same pod and I don't have to put that sort of mental energy around it like I used to. And, um, but to go back to your question, yeah, it's, it does elevate my mood. Um, and as far as like the ultra distance goes, I, I get really inspired. I get really, um, motivated and I'm like, wow, you know, if that person can do that, maybe I can too. And, you know, even if I fail, it's whatever, but, and that's, that's kind of been my relationship now with running and and doing these ultra endurance events. It's like, you know, it's just being inspired by so many friends and, and, you know, these great athletes that can do these things. I, I'm just like, you know, how far can I go? How far can this, uh, how far can my, you know, extracurricular, extracurricular devotion take me. Mm -hmm. So describe before you, um, were inspired to go all in, um, kind of what parts of your day were animal products creeping in? And it sounds like you didn't really want them to be, but they just, they just kind of were. And then what that next day was, I guess, after we all hung out where you were just like, okay, uh, you know, and, and what kind of changes did you made, make to your, to your kitchen and, and your shopping and your restaurant eating? Yeah, uh, it's an awesome question. So I think for the most part, I was probably like 95% on the way there. And it was just like the, the, the small lapses in, in control or, you know, of, of keeping myself grounded in the moment where, you know, I'd be hungry or I'd be at like a grocery store and I would, you know, get a cookie or something. Um, some sort of vestige of my old self back of like, you know, in my binge eating days, which had been long gone by the time, you know, you and I had met, but you know, those occasional sort of, you know, you know, ice cream treats or cookie cookies and things like that. And I think it was just the day after that you and I met, it was just like, I don't, it, it, I'm so, you know, far removed from this now in this instant moment where I don't need these things. These things don't promote my health. They don't promote the health of the planet. It was, it was like, hearing the same thing in sometimes in a different way. And I think that's sort of like what our experience together had provided for me. It was like, I knew all of those things going in. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just that extra kick or that extra fire or that extra spark that was able to sort of turn that leaf over. So most of my kitchen had been, I mean, my kitchen was entirely plant-based and, um, still is obviously to this day, but I, I would say it was more just those like small lapses in, in control or judgment or, um, just given into temptation, which, had completely subsided afterwards. So. And then you felt like this, this sort of this newfound conviction to like when you wanted to go for that uh, cookie that I guess would have whatever butter or something in it. You just mm-hmm. had this sense of like it, empowerment in a way, not like, oh no, I'm bad. I can't have that or I shouldn't have that. Just like, ah, that's not part of my deal anymore. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's, it's very similar. I, I you know, very similar to the way I stopped binge eating was, um, and 
from my understanding, kind of very similar to the way that you were able to get um, control over your eating disorder was just giving that space in between like having the thought and giving action, you know, and increasing the amount of time, you know, being in that space of, you know, what I like to call and what a lot of people like to call just being uh, comfortable being uncomfortable. And before, you know, before you and I met, it was like, I was not giving space to that whatsoever. And then again, like I said, having that extra kick, that extra motivation just allowed me to put a little more space in between the thought and the action, just like I had done before to actually stop binge eating in the first place. And it was like, I mean, I think after maybe a few weeks, I didn't even have the cravings and the temptation wasn't even there. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned, I, I didn't realize about the binge eating because you mentioned you restricted food. How did your eating disorder progress? You restricted it first and then you became a binge eater? Yeah. Um, I, I kind of describe it like this. I, I probably never fit the, you know, the DSM classification for anorexia, but I full throatedly fit it for bulimia or for, um, binge eating. And it was pretty much just one day. Um, you know, I was restricting myself. I was really hungry. It was like four or five in the afternoon or something like that. And I had this sort of schedule in my head that you don't get to eat dinner until seven. So you got to just wait it out. And there's something in me, I think, I think over time, your, your mind, your hypothalamus, all these other cortical pathways that I've probably forgotten already from first year med school, but, um, they kick in and they're just say, you know, screw it. I'm going for it. And I remember eating, I think I, I had like a, a thing of bagels in my pantry or something like that. And I put peanut butter and jelly on every single one of them and ate them all in 15 minutes. And it was something like, it was just something that my mind had to do in order to break this cycle that had been in before. And I guess my mind was more comfortable with binge eating than it was trying to restrict myself. And that's sort of where it took off from there. And then did you continue to do a cycle of restriction and binging or did you just binge? It, I think it, it initially was that happened. And, you know, I woke up the next day and being just like, what, like what just happened? Like, well, I've not experienced this behavior before. And I think it was like, maybe again, it happened two or three weeks later. And then going through the same feelings of like, how could I let this happen? What is going on here? Um, just being so out of control. And then as time progressed, um, those incidents were, um, took place more often where instead of being once every two weeks or three weeks, it was maybe once a week. And then at its absolute lowest, it was, you know, two or three times a week, um, if not more. Um, and yeah, it was, it's pretty rough. <laughs> Do you experience any digestive discomfort after consuming dairy products such as cow's milk, cheese, butter, or yogurt, like an upset stomach, bloating, gas, or diarrhea? Do you have any irritating skin conditions like eczema or skin rashes? Or do you sometimes have respiratory symptoms like wheezing or asthma? If you've answered yes to any of these, you could be lactose intolerant, or you could have a full-blown dairy allergy. 65% of the world's population cannot properly digest cow's milk, or any milk for that matter, after the age of weaning. Our bodies have an enzyme called lactase that helps us digest the lactose in our mother's milk. But after the age of about three or four, that enzyme turns off as we no longer need it. Unless you're an adult still drinking breast milk, which is what dairy is. 
In order to find out if you are lactose intolerant, go to switchforgood.org and click on lactose intolerance quiz. Here you can take a short quiz and find out immediately if you have lactose intolerance, what you can do to manage it, what foods to avoid, and most importantly, what foods to add into your diet to make you feel amazing and leave that bloating, skin irritation, and difficulty breathing in your wake. How did you start to get out of this? Yeah, um, I I started to get out of it once. Um, well, I had to hit a low point, and I'm sort of the perpetual optimist. You know, I'm always, um, even when I was in the throes of it, I would always had in my mind that you know there's a way out of this. This is going to end. And I remember there was a point um, during the about three and a half, four years that I was in it that I started to lose that optimism. And I started to think, you know, this, maybe there isn't a way out of this. And, um, that was when it was really scary for me that, um, it was actually detailed, um, really adequately or really, really well by, uh, another person on another podcast, um, who described it and he described it with alcoholism that, you know, once I didn't believe that I could get out of it anymore, that's when it was scary. That's when, when you sort of lose hope and you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel, there was you know, really only two options. And that was either get better or, you know, end this. And mm-hmm. once I started to see that the, the getting out of this wasn't going to happen, that sort of end this part of the, of the binary spectrum started to take more hold. But, but to answer your question, um, but that did not last long. I, some, you know, through some, uh, through some mechanism, somehow I found a way to find that optimism again. And I, the, I credit all of almost all of my success in overcoming it to a couple of books that I read. Um, one is called brain over Binge, brain over binge by Katherine Hansen. And she just, she lays out exactly how she got into binge eating, how she got into bulimia and the ways she got out and provides a very structured, detailed plan of getting out of it. And it, it, it invokes a lot of the similar, um, sort of tropes and techniques that, uh, you would find in like a mindfulness meditation practice or things like that is just, you know, not identifying with the thoughts that are coming. Those thoughts of binge eating, not identifying with them, not judging yourself, not giving them, um, a good or bad or amoral sense, just letting them transpire and, you know, seeing them to the end without acting on them. And, I had a lot of hiccups along the way. Um, but once it, once it took hold and once it was able to, to really stick, um, it was, it was, yeah, it's cool how it works, I guess. And what was the other book? Do you remember? Um, the other book was, uh, the book that she, the author of this book, um, mentions in her book and that's rational recovery. Mm. And mostly that's, uh, that was written by a former alcoholic and it's mostly the same, um, the same techniques, the same practices of, of identifying those times when you're triggered or those times when you have those thoughts, not identifying with them, letting them pass, um, and the, and the ways and tactics in which to be able to do that. So, mm-hmm. and I think it's, a you know, what you're talking about that you reached was, you know, really just like a fork in a road, right. Where you've just had just, you'd been doing it so much and so often and your life was so entrenched in, in your eating disorder and your binge that you, you really realize like, okay, if I continue down this road, I'm not going to make it out. Right. And it's like, you make that mm-hmm. choice, but, um, so it's, it's kind of a rock bottom. Um, and, and I, I think it's important to mention that 
I think so many people judge themselves by others' stories maybe and they go, oh, okay, well, I wasn't, I'm not, I'm not that bad yet. You know, they might hear all three of us talking, I'm not that bad yet. Uh, and so I can, you know, keep going. And there's a, a wonderful book called Blackout um, that is about um, an alcoholic who never hit rock bottom. And it's a, it's a great book in, in that, that, you know, references specifically, obviously alcoholism, but is, is, is I think great for anyone who feels like, okay, this is definitely uh, a problem in my life, but I'm not, we always compare ourselves, right? Like I, I, I'm not at rock bottom. I haven't hit that fork in the road. And the point of her book is you may not, you may not you may ever hit, you made this years of yeah, subpar living. Yeah. And you don't want this to be your life because this yeah. isn't you and this isn't what you deserve because she never really hit rock bottom. She blacked out a lot, which for some, that's some rock bottoms, right? Like it, it multiple times after and parties and waking up in strange beds with strange men. Um, but, but there was never an actual, okay, this is, this was the moment that, that some of us have. So anyway, I just, I thought that's important to bring in, you know, yeah, that definitely. it's a, we don't, nobody deserves that life. So don't wait for that rock bottom, you know, listen to, um, Ryan's advice. And, you know, take that, take that fork in the road towards healing and recovery because you deserve it. Yeah. I often detail to people, you know, you, you sort of have to make, yeah, a, you know, a line in the sand saying what behaviors are acceptable and what's mm -hmm. not. And it doesn't, you know, it, it's sort of, I guess it sort of sucks that some people have to really hit a low or they have to suffer so much where the suffering that they're in just isn't, isn't tolerable anymore, but, um, but you can really make that, that distinction. You can make that line. And that was actually one of the big things that helped me get through mine was, you know, if, if I felt myself, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that sometimes I don't eat too much at dinner or, you know, have one extra slice of brownie or something like that. But, you know, I can feel when it's about, when I can feel those thoughts or, you know, if I feel myself about to overeat and I say, I don't need anymore. I'm done. I don't care. Whatever feelings that, you know, persist in the next hour, I'll just sit with them because I don't, I know I don't need anymore. I don't, I know that it isn't my hunger signals that are telling me to eat more. It's a vestige of a disease that I've cured my, or, you know, that I've been cured of that I don't need to listen to anymore. And once you've developed that technique and developing your own line in the sand, um, that's when you can really start to recover. I think. Mm hmm a story about going into a grocery store before your recovery, but when you were vegan, um, and it, that it helped you actually with a binge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can detail that. Um, yeah, I wrote for it in the blog. Um, it's, uh, it goes back to that, giving yourself some time, giving yourself space. Uh, I remember, um, I had, sort of started the path to recovery. But again, it was sort of in that rocky sort of, um, I always tell people, you know, recovery is not a linear path. It's, it can be up, it can be down, it can go backward, it can go forward, you know. Um, so I was in the, the, you could say like a trough of my recovery in that I was sort of um, giving credence to these thoughts again. And, you know, I was in a grocery store, I had maintained probably a, a two months of being completely plant based, but was still in the throes of this eating disorder, um, much, much better, much more recovered than I had been, you know, when I was at my lowest, but, but still obviously, um, tackling with these thoughts and ideas. And I remember going through the grocery store and it's, it's, it was just so 
interesting to look back on now because I was, you know, trolling up and down trying to find the vegan items in the grocery store. You know, I was I was going through and I was like, I don't want Oreos right now. I want something else. And I was like, well, this place doesn't have any vegan ice cream. So I would have to drive over to somewhere else to go get this. And I was just making these rounds up and down the aisles. And it was like, a, you know, a light switch just went off. I think I had just given myself, like I said, enough time between having the thought of wanting to go on a binge and actually executing it where my brain was like, what the hell are you doing? You know, what are you doing here? What, look at yourself. It's, it's 1130 at night. You have school tomorrow. Like go to bed. Like that is the only thing that's going to satisfy you in a real positive way right now. And it was, and I was like, okay, I'm doing that. And the drive home sucked. You know, all I wanted to do is turn the car around and find some place that had vegan ice cream, but I had given myself just enough or something turned on in my brain just enough to say, you don't need this. You've practiced enough um, mindfulness techniques to know that you don't need to act on this right now. Just go home and went home, went to bed. And then, you know, I think, uh, I think that was probably one of the last times that I can't say for sure. Um, I haven't detailed super great, uh, notes about it, but it was one of the last times for sure. So Ryan, what's your food philosophy now? I mean, if you, if you have one and kind of, um, maybe some, some tips of the trade that just keep you very successfully balanced. Not that, like you said, I mean, we're all, you know, have an extra brownie that like, we're not about perfection, but just mm-hmm. that really helps you to thrive, um, in and out of your, um, nutrition plan. Cause it's still important because you are an ultra runner. So you still have mm-hmm. to think about it. You know, you can't just, you're just not mindlessly eating. I'm assuming. Yeah. Uh, I take a much more relaxed, uh, philosophy to food. Um, I obviously eat completely plant-based vegan. I don't have any animal products, but, um, and I eat a predominantly healthy diet, you know, I, but I try not to think about it too much. You know, I don't, uh, if I go out to restaurants with friends, I'm not pouring over the menu, like a madman trying to figure out what I'm going to eat, what I'm not going to eat. I just go there and, you know, if the only thing is a basket of fries, I guess I'm just going to eat a basket of fries, you know, or if, you know, if they have some like a great salad option or I can go back, you know, and tell the waiter or the waitress be like, Hey, what, what can you make for me? I've been surprised. Um, but as far as, so that's, you know, as far as going out to eat and stuff like that, but on the day to day, I always just straight make sure to eat my, you know, big salad at some point throughout the day. And I think that just comes from knowing all the health benefits of eating green Christopher's vegetables mm-hmm. and how it makes you feel, you know, and I still, <laughs> I, I like to think that from all the binge eating, uh, I probably have to have larger meals to satiate myself. I think my stomach is probably still expanded. So I just, I try <laughs> to, you know, eat at least one, um, low calorie, high, highly nutrient dense food every day. Um, so like an hour ago I had a huge lunch with some, I baked some cauliflower, I took some cabbage, chopped it up, had some lentils. It was probably, you know, a pound of food and, you know, I I guess not too many calories. I couldn't tell you how many calories are in it, but it filled me up. I feel good. I feel light. Um, and that's great. And so that's my day to day. And I would say, you know, to go back to your question to, for what people can do in their day to day, um, find the most nutrient dense foods out there. You know, you don't have to be in med school. You don't have to be a doctor. You don't have to do these things to, to know just like the age old wisdom of eat your fruits and vegetables. You're going to feel full on less food and you're going to feel better overall. And you don't have to worry about overeating. You know, you can't, 
you, you can't overeat on two pounds of vegetables in the morning like you, Alexandria. Um, so yeah, that's what I try to do. Um, and like I said, you know, if it's 80%, 90% whole food plant-based, I'm probably doing pretty good. Um, certainly after the 50 mile last weekend, there was not, <laughs> there was, there was whole food plant-based and then there was a lot of not whole food plant-based, but you know, still vegan all the same, but yeah. yeah. I want to sidestep on just getting a couple of tips from you real quick. And then I know that we sure. want to dive into to med school and nutrition or lack thereof there and all of that. Mm-hmm. But I, it, I want to see if you have some tips for food before running, because as a cyclist, uh, I would just lap a luxury. I, you can eat, you know, a thousand calories and then get on the bike and start pedaling because you're not shaking yourself up and down. Right. So there's no like gut distress really. Mm-hmm. Um, but running, oh man, it's, it's, so what is the spacing of time? Do you need to eat an hour or two hours before? Can you eat 30 minutes before? And what are three easy foods for people's digestion, um, before they go out for a five mile run or a 15 mile run and, and would that yeah. be different, right? If it was a shorter or longer. Yeah. There's, a, there's some data, but you know, uh, like gastric emptying and, you know, if you eat a, if you eat a lot of fat, the food in your stomach is going to sit in your stomach longer. Um, and we know that from different, uh, the trials and, and measuring the, what's called the gastric emptying and things like that. So if, if you're one of those people that is sort of averse to, to high fat foods before you go out, I would say stay away from the peanut butter and banana bagel or, you know, whatever it is, if you're going out for a long run. Um, me personally, if it's, if it's, you know, I shouldn't say only five or eight miles because, you know, for me back in the day, that used to be a lot. But if you're going on one of your shorter runs, I would say if you just get down some water, um, you probably don't even need to eat anything if you're, if you're doing that. But if you are going for a longer run, you, you, you really have to play how your body works. So if you, I would say for anybody that's thinking, you know, maybe just starting marathon training or, um, there's a lot of people who are doing that now, you know, fall is a really popular time for marathons. I would say if you haven't, uh, dialed in a a nutrition, you know, pre race or pre long run food three hours before. So, you know, if you got to get up at four or five, you know, you're probably going to have to do that on race day. So I recommend doing that anyway. And then just light foods. So, um, call it the tea and toast diet for different reasons in the hospital, but really bland food bagels with maybe some jam on it or oatmeal overnight oats, or even just some really easily digestible fruit like bananas. Um, or yeah, yeah, something like a banana. And then if you feel like you can put more down without it upsetting you, you can try adding like oats. You can try adding, you know, some natural peanut butter, things like that. Um, for me personally, I am fortunate and I don't know maybe if it comes from having had binge eating disorder or something like that, but I can pretty much put anything into my gut and then head out the door. It doesn't matter for me, mm-hmm. but I know for a lot of my friends and, um, people, other people that run, it can be kind of a struggle. So, um, I would say start small and start early. And then once you're able to sort of digest those small foods beforehand, then you'll be able to good. Now mm-hmm. you'll be, you'll be fine. And then in the interim, if you take gels, I'm a big fan of gels. Mm-hmm. I think they work fine. Uh, they don't upset my stomach, but different brands are different for, even for me, um, cliff shots don't work for me as, as well as the goo ones and, um, things like that. When it comes to ultras, I've only, I've only raced one, but, um, that was literally just whatever I could get in my mouth was, you know, potatoes. What's an ultra? Is it over a hundred miles? Anything over a marathon is considered a, oh. an ultra marathon. Oh, right. Right. Um, okay. Yep. So last weekend was a 50 mile trail race in Wisconsin that I had run. Um, 
And yeah, after about 25 or 30 miles, it was really just whatever fluids and whatever food I could get in. I was, I was starving and it seemed to, my stomach seemed to take it, but yeah. Okay. So start small, start early and kind of watch the fat. If you have gut distress, then that, cause that, I mean, I, I think that's such a great tip because I think a lot of uh, runners do, do like the, you know, the simple bagel and, and peanut butter, almond butter, and then, and that's going to stay in your gut for a really long time with the fat. So stay with the carbohydrates. And I, um, would, I think we could add potatoes to that list oh, yay, for you yay. and for me. Cause actually, I, <laughs> well, actually you easy know, food, um, right? Yeah. Sweet potatoes with, um, it, it, People used to use honey, but vegans will use um, another. You can use agave, bee, bee free. There's the delicious stuff called bee free. Cool honey. It's okay. not honey, but it's bee free. But anyway, so yeah, and it tastes like honey. It's made from apple juice, yeah. and you can do that, which gives a lot of carbs and energy. Yeah. yeah. One okay. other tip I can throw out there too is um, I, I bake a lot, and I. I I've been trying to get into a lot of like whole food baking, you know, not using, using all natural sweeteners and using, you know, sweet potatoes and black beans and things like that. Another really great fruit is dates. Dates are, you know, they're very high, high calorie as far as, you know, fruits go, but they, they're low fat, obviously, because they're fruit. Um, I've been using those a lot in the last few months and they're, they're fantastic. You know, my it, really easy to digest and things like that. So another whole whole fruit that, uh, I think goes down pretty well. Mm-hmm. A lot of people just eat medjool dates, but I, some, and I wish I could remember, but at the farmer's market, I bought some other dates that taste like caramel and they're so good. And I'm, I'll put it in the show notes cause I'll go home <laughs> wow. and see if I can find the name of it. But yeah, they taste really good. So if someone doesn't like dates, there's many different kinds of dates. Yeah, not that, just the one, right? Just the yeah. typical, really typical ones you get. <laughs> so I remember when I uh, met you, Ryan, we also had a, a short discussion on uh, you going to medical school and your decision to go to medical school. And like you said, always the optimist, you were like, I am going to change how medicine views nutrition. I am going to change this. And I was like, gosh, I love this guy. Like he's just stating it out there. Um, so I think first of all, uh, we, we'd love to hear kind of, um, what nutrition education you've even gotten so far, you know, what's the conversation, but you know, you're in med school now, we know, you know, for years it was never even mentioned, but it seems like they're start. they have to have started to get the memo. Well, what that we hear is like what five hours eat. in four right, years. That's what kind that's of what we hear. So but we, yeah. doctors, I mean, so, you know, so many of them are starting to be aware that actually what you put in your body has something to do with the output and what's going to be, you know, growing <laughs> in your body or not growing. Um, so what's, what's the deal with that? And, um, yeah, then we've got lots of questions for that. So, so just, just start there. Yeah. Um, as far as our training in school goes, I, I mean, I love my school. I've had terrific education. Uh, the hospitals that we round at are, are phenomenal and things like that. The residents are great, but the nutrition education isn't there. Um, I would say the, I mean, the, the extent at which our education goes is the sort of rare diseases that you, you just don't really hear about. Like, you know, people getting too much vitamin D or too little vitamin D or, mm, or scurvy, uh, scurvy. Yeah. Things <laughs> like that. When's that the last is, time you anybody? know, yeah, right. it's wild. That, How about that, heart disease? Yeah, right, exactly. And diabetes, high blood pressure. No, it, no, it, it really. Do you ever is, ask? Do you ever raise your hand and say, um, "It's it's it's unfortunate," just because I always think about it like this too. We, I think, doctors would have phenomenal 
you know, training in it if if it wasn't so centered about uh, around pharmacology, if it wasn't so, you know, the mm-hmm. statins and the beta blockers and the calcium channel blockers. And, you know, it, I always kind of liken it like this. If, if somebody comes to an internist and they have high blood pressure, there's all of these randomized trials and, and flow charts and flow sheets. And the American Cardiology College of Cardiology has this whole diagram about, you know, if your patient's blood pressure is this, then you give them, start them on this and that. And I think if we could change that focus to saying like, have, you know, you need to eat these certain types of foods because they've been shown to do this. And, you, you know, if we had those same types of algorithms and those flow charts and those flow sheets in nutrition context, we would see way better results. Um, but, you know, I, and I have asked, <laughs> asked questions, you know, how, how have you been able to implement diet, you know, into your patient's, you know, well-being? And I think it's just such a foreign concept to so many doctors that, you know, you know, even if I were to ask classmates that we would, it's, it's a lot of this research is on my own. So there's just not that sort of in, you know, intuitive knowledge of it or this, you know, this learned experience of having nutrition as part of your repertoire for things to help people. Is there a lot of milk in the hospital when they give to patients? Yes. It, yeah. yeah. You know, two, you know there's 2% their skin, but it's all, it's pretty hard to find a plant-based milk option mm. um, in a hospital around here. So, so, uh, how are you going to change this when you become a doctor and then maybe you will become an internist? It seems like a great field to go into, to change this whole system, but what's your plan? I think, uh, you know, if I can, in the time right now that I have in school, I think just setting an example, being here on this podcast with, you know, with you all, um, doing the things I do outside of school, as far as like running and, and showing people that this, this is, not only uh, a doable way of, of living healthy and, and being, you know, a a casual amateur athlete, you know, and that, that can run 50 miles and run 65 miles throughout the next week and feel fine. You know, it's, it's not this one-off type of thing is really is the, the pinnacle of health, just setting that as an example. And then in practice, um, sort of, coming to patients with that attitude. Cause I, you know, you talk to patients in the clinic, in the hospital, most people don't like their medications. Most people don't want to have to take medications. It's not, uh, I think sometimes a profession gets this idea that, you know, patients are, are stubborn or lazy or, you know, whatever it is. And it's just give them a pill and be on their way. But, you know, I look at it as our patients are just like us. They want to be healthy. They want to live a long time. They want to be around for the kids, the families. They want to do the things that they, you know, that make them happy and they know medications have side effects. So just taking the knowledge that I have with each patient and saying, Hey, look, you know, I, you've probably tried this before. You've probably tried this medication. You've probably tried, you know, these different, you know, therapeutic options as far as maybe even surgery goes. Let's talk about what you're eating. Let's talk about what's on your plate. I'm not an Olympian. I'm not rich roll. I'm not one of those, you know, Brendan Fraser, but <laughs> I still do these things you know, I still exercise. And you do medical day. school. Those folks aren't doing medical school at the same time, Ryan. So I think actually you have a leg up. <laughs> I think so too. I have an idea. I think Dotsie should come with you on your rounds. And the two of you and Dotsie, you will go in. speak in one of his classes. Just you walk are in. So welcome anytime. Right? I'm in. That I'm would in. totally change the medical system. <laughs> when you talked at his fun. university. Would, were you talking to the whole university or to the med school folks? No, it wasn't. It was. It was actually the um, uh, 
I think it was the, the the animal rights folks on campus, right? And then they invited other people. So it was oh, like a, just okay. a, yeah, a, a group a of- student thing. Mm-hmm, exactly, mm-hmm. right. Okay, yeah. so Ryan, Ryan, you need to get her invited through the medical school. I'm serious here. And I, you, I'm and my right gosh, your <laughs> <laughs> okay? I, I got it written down he's, on my he's sticky not, notes. He's taking notes right now, okay. folks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Miss Paul. Uh, <laughs> it would be well received. Like I said, I don't, there's, everybody wants to live a healthy life. And there's nobody here that, you know, you talk to any patient, you talk to any doctor, nobody wants to to have to take medications yeah. for the rest of their life. And for people to know that there's a way out, the pe- for people to know that they can, you know, they can give up those small cravings of, you know, the things that they used to love in order to increase their longevity, it, it, it will resonate. But they people. don't think they can do it because their doctors don't mention it. They do believe in the pill because their doctors talk about it. If their doctors spoke yeah. more about the power of plants, they would start to believe in it. And I think I hear compliance is an issue. So a lot of doctors think, well, my patients aren't going to do it. So it's just easier for me to give them a pill. By the way, not all doctors are men. So I'm sorry. I made a man voice. Just assuming. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but most anyway, <laughs> so, do you give any tips on how people can change? Cause it is hard to change. Especially, is hard. Yeah. yeah. When they're sitting in a hospital bed, sometimes they can't see it. And, uh, it, yeah, it's, it is very hard. And coming from someone like me, uh, you know, I, I used to pride myself on, I ate three meals a day that I had meat in it. And I, you know, it, talking to me five years ago would be like talking to a completely different person. I thought, you know, vegans and vegetarians are these, you know, tree hugging hippies or whatever, you know, I, because I didn't know any better. And, um, and that's where I would come at patients saying, Hey, look, you know, I'm just your average show. I might be your doctor, but I'm a human being just like you are. And I came from a place where you were too. I've been overweight having, you know, had binge eating disorder. I've been, you know, completely carnivorous or omnivorous and I've completely eliminated those things out of my life. And I would tell people just know who you are. Some people need that, you know, they need to flip a switch and they need to either go all in or all out. And for me, it was, it was a little bit in, you know, maybe giving up meat here and there and just kind of this undulating sort of longer path, um, and finding people where they're at, you know, I, you could never get anybody to change if you just came at them saying, Hey, you need to eat this, 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 um, tomorrow, or, you know, you got no hope. It's saying, well, what, what things could you change or what, um, what are you eating now that maybe you could substitute or, you know, if it, if it was just one meal a day, um, and I think Dr. Neil Barnard does that with a lot of his patients. Yeah. And you can't talk at them. You're going to talk with them. Figure out solutions yes. yeah. one bit at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian, thank you so much for being on our mm. show. We really appreciate it. Congratulations for winning our prize. Oh, thank you. For overcoming. It sounds like you really have overcome and that you're going to use the, the experience yeah. that you had, which seemed so dark, to help others. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was yeah, a pleasure. You. you were fantastic. And if, yeah. And if anybody wants to reach out, you can follow me on Instagram. Uh, it's unleash the Duff. Duff is my last name. Um, you can follow me on Instagram. You can follow me on Twitter. I don't really do much on Twitter. I try to post more on Instagram. I have a blog by the same title. Um, and if anybody, you know, is struggling, needs to reach out, whether, whether it's food, whether it's, a, you know, a family member, whether they're just curious about a vegan diet, please reach out to me. I know um, 
me reaching out to people and me getting advice and influence and inspiration from other people is what got me from where I was to where I am. So I would love to be there for somebody else who's struggling. So yeah, no, I love, unleash the duff. <laughs> the powerful. And and is that dot com or dot org? The blog is dot com. Okay, okay. Just to make sure everybody can find you. And definitely we'll on Instagram. He's great on IG and we'll put it in the show notes. Great. Thank okay. you so much, Ryan. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Bye. Bye. So thank you so much for tuning in today. If we helped you in any way, then click the subscribe button and let's keep hanging out together. We have so much more to share with you. And if you need more information on actually making the switch for good, please visit us at switchforgood.org for loads of info. And you can subscribe to our mailing list where you will receive all sorts of super cool gifts, discount codes to our very fave dairy-free products and a lifetime of powerful health tips. So join us on the journey to switch for good. This is the future. Thanks so much for listening. I hope that we get to do more of these crossover episodes since our missions with Switch for Good are so aligned. And like Ryan, I hope that you find joy and peace and fueling your performance with plants. I want you to seriously think about joining Team Plant Strong and celebrate your journey with us virtually or in person in Austin on February 19th 2023. Simply visit plantstrongfoods.com slash team for all the details. And you can also download the Switch for Good comprehensive plant-based playbook for athletic performance on their website at switchforgood.org. I'll be sure to put the link to the download in the show notes for this episode. Okay, as always, keep it plant strong.